This is Control Structure, episode 72, for October 21st, 2014. Big week to everyone listening. This show has notes. You can visit them by going to thenexus.tv slash cs72 to see them. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Hi, Steve. I'm doing okay. Although earlier today, I was very frustrated because because at work, literally nothing works. Or at least, or at least the stuff I was working on totally doesn't work. And this is like with problems with other people's systems. So yeah, I'm kind of, kind of angry at work. So it was code you wrote or it wasn't code you wrote? It's not code that I wrote. This is like FTP servers run by other people. Aha, I see. And firewall rules and configurations that like I totally have no control over. So, yeah. How about you? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. We're testing the feature at work right now that we're just kind of finishing up. So that's why I'm actually down at my apartment this day in particular, because we're handing it off to QA supposedly tomorrow. Tomorrow, Even though uh, we had an interesting thing uh, on Friday, someone dropped a bunch of in- records in an important table of the database, in our development database, which shouldn't be a problem, you would think. Turns out there's no backups of that database, so they <laughs> had to do a clone back from one of the QA database bases, and all the sequences were out of whack and nothing worked. So it made testing a lot more difficult. That can be a problem. The best part was I, I would have assumed they'd back up at the development database, but they had no backups of it. I couldn't believe that. Yeah, I can I can see if uh, maybe disk space is sort of short. But then, you know, like, can you not have redundancy or something? It's like, yeah. <laughs> I don't but know uh, anyways, uh, uh, let's see. Last night, uh, me and Chris had another movie night, and we watched uh, Iron Man uh, 1 and 2. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure what he wants me to think of these movies. I mean, they're good movies, but, you know, and I can enjoy them, like, semi-superficially, but... Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm not, like, an instant converted fan, like, uh, like an Apple zealot or something. So Chris just kind of keeps looking at you and is like, isn't this great? And you're just like, yeah, it's a movie. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm not sure to say fortunately or unfortunately, uh, there wasn't a situation like the, uh, the Razor, uh, from last time. So... Uh, another frustrating thing at work is they're uh, digging up the sewer line outside of the uh, outside of the office. So, like, there's construction going on there. There's construction on the parkway, which you know leads me to do a detour, which leads me to a further detour because that bridge is under construction. Oh, that's nice. Only to come to find out that the detour of the detour also has construction. Okay. Can- <laughs> You know, good job, PennDot. You're making me making my life a uh, you know miserable existence here. Yeah, you know, I guess they don't ha- have that much coordination going on. I've uh, had a road closed like all summer, a back way into South Point, and it's it's been closed all summer. I don't know what they're doing back in there, but it's it's not even a big road too. It's maybe it well, it can't even be a mile it's got to be like half a mile maybe it's it's a really small road yeah you uh, that's where the subway is uh if i go that way i would pass the subway the subway is in cecil 
Uh, the road is connecting from South Point to almost to Cecil. It's kind of like an in-between connecting point. Okay. So uh, maybe on, on to something a little bit more juicy. Uh, my internet speeds were recently upgraded. I now have uh, a faster upload than download. Uh, apparently uh, 58 megabits over 64. So, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what to do with that. But, hey, it's a weird situation to be in. Well, you could host a video website or something, become the next YouTube. Oh, wait, they already invented that. Yeah. Uh, um, so was this a different ISP? Because I, I was trying to remember if you had Fios before, and now yeah. that I'm thinking about it, I think you did have Fios before. Yeah, I've had Fios for about three years now. So is this related to your, you told me a while back you're going to call them up and say, hey, Comcast has a, a deal for so much, would you make me a deal? Is this related to that? Uh, I haven't actually done that yet, uh, but, you know, I, w- I was thinking about doing that, but, bah, laziness, so, <laughs> but, uh, hey, just, uh, just this evening, I was listening to an episode of the JavaScript Jabber podcast, uh, apparently, uh, one of their episodes, they had Brendan Ike on, uh, this is the guy that made JavaScript, and, uh, you know, as you know, if you're anywhere remotely connected to the web you know, development uh, sphere, I guess. Uh, JavaScript is pretty important. And he sort of goes over the uh, history and, and the... Uh, uh, actually, the title of this particular episode is The Origin of JavaScript. So he goes over, you know, pretty much, you know, how he got, uh, you know, how he uh, got employment at Netscape. Uh, and then, you know, like, what happened there. Uh, and also... Uh, has interactions with a lot of other companies uh, up until about the release of Chrome. Uh, and, you know, of course, there's a lot of, uh, you know, inter and intra company uh, politics going on. So is this the, the language slash guy that was given like a week or something to invent a language and he just had to do it really quick? And yeah, it wasn't the way he wanted to do it. Like he wishes he could have it back again and do it different. Yeah. And, uh, like, all through this podcast, you know, he sort of emphasizes that, you know, even though it's only been out for, like, three months, you can't really change it because people are already using it and you can't really break the web without people yes. coming back and hating you for it. That's always the big thing in software. It's like, we could make this better. It would be better this way. It's like, no, you can't do that. The customers are using it and you would break it and they would be mad. <laughs> yeah, and then they sort of got into this sticky situation where... Like, it wasn't really a standard so much. Uh, so, that, like, when they went to standardize it, well, they had to look at, like, code that's already been shipped. So, oh, do you see how it kind of is already being used as a yeah. standard? Huh, interesting. So that's probably not the way you should go. And uh, now we have a former Kickstarter. It's more of a uh, cautionary tale called Anonabox. Uh, this was, uh, this uh, project was supposed to be uh, like a small little router or something, like more of a pass-through device uh, that would encrypt, uh, like, put everything into Tor. So, like, whatever, uh, like, data, you know, came into it, you know, it would go to Tor, uh, like, automatically. But, uh, you know, they made claims that everything was 100% open source, hardware and software. Uh, apparently, it uh, run on some flavor of DDWRT, uh, or something similar. 
Uh, but you know, it showed you know how they went through the iterations, and uh, apparently they uh, they ended up with an off-the-shelf Chinese part. You know, like it's not really built by them. So uh, Kickstarter decided to cancel or suspend this project, and it's uh, pretty interesting in that, like the last day or so, like people were pulling out their money so fast that uh, like their uh, campaign total actually went down by about you know, like four and a half thousand dollars at the uh, final day when they suspended it. So can Kickstarter take their money back, or is the money that's our people okay. just lost that? Yeah, you are. You just dropped out there pretty bad. Okay, you're getting static in the same boat or not? Okay, yeah. Go ahead and turn off your video there. There. Okay. Can you hear me now? Uh, I can hear you now. Do I sound different? Uh, still the same. <laughs> okay, you sound <laughs> a lot better. Uh, I, actually, I joked about the other one. Anyway, yes, you do sound better. Uh, what was I saying before we were talking? Oh, Kickstarter, right? That's yeah. what we were talking about. Uh. So since they got like the half a million dollars, can Kickstarter get that money back or are they? Okay. So, so like the way Kickstarter works is that, you know, people come by and say, I will pledge like $50 towards this project. The, what actually happens is the money is not taking out, taken out of those cards until the project is successful. So, so if something like if it's suspended or it's canceled, like those credit card authorizations will just expire, uh, and like no money would have actually changed hands at that point. Okay, so Kickstarter can effectively nullify the transaction, and these guys, even if they're scammers, they're they're stopped and they don't get anything. Then yeah, that's good. Um, although it doesn't look like they're exactly scammers, they're they just like totally misrepresented what they were doing. <laughs> It's like, really, we're buying a $19 router and selling it for $30 and making a profit, and we want half a million dollars. So, yeah, their goal was $7,500. By the end of it, when it was suspended, uh, like $585,500. Although, uh, looking at the daily data here, I'm not sure exactly uh, how I can tell where it peaked, but it wasn't, it was maybe $600,000 at peak. So, yeah. They did have a good convincing story in their in their post, anyways. I didn't watch the videos. So I don't know how the video was without. Another two weeks have gone by, and guess what happened? Uh, let me see. Another security vulnerability. Yes, and this is pretty, well, I wouldn't say pretty big. This is pretty major. This is nothing like, uh, oh, the shell on which your operating system relies upon has totally been broken. That one was major. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So this time it's called Poodle. It's a downgrade attack against SSL v3. Uh, Everyone is advised to disable all SSL v3 applications and use TLS only. 
this is like the underlying protocol used uh, for secure web transactions. So like whenever you go to Amazon or something or enter in your credit card number or your social security number, like it uses secured HTTP. And uh, up until now, SSL, uh, the SSL, uh, you know, suites were a part of that uh, and along with TLS. And TLS has been around since like 1999 and is the successor to SSL version anything. Uh, but it's mostly been kept around because old stuff and embedded stuff because, hey, embedded stuff, you don't really need to support a whole lot. Uh, and it's really annoying when they do that. Um, but uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, it comes out and uh, uh, even at work, some of our client, you know, at least one of our clients has, you know, asked us, hey, we're disabling all of our SSL stuff. Uh, can the uh, the web storefront still work with that? And uh, as it turns out, that uh, the platform uh, on which like their storefront's based on uh, will be disabling SSL uh, come I think Friday. So they don't even have to disable it themselves. It's going to happen for them. Yeah, like I went on the developer forum and asked this, and like the next morning they're like, yeah, it'll be disabled Friday. Uh, along with a massive email blast to everyone saying, hey, it's going to be turned off. So, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, let's see, I'm, since, like, pretty much everything supports TLS now, like, you know, major browsers have, like, everything IE7 and above supports some version of TLS, it shouldn't be that hard. And if you're using a browser so old that it does not support uh, TLS... upgrade. Well, I was thinking the web is already broken for you, so you're not really losing much. This is true. So, um, uh, Red Hat here, I linked to uh, one of the articles here on Red Hat, uh, has an attachment on it that allows you to ping a server, uh, a web server, and it'll tell you whether or not it uh, supports SSL and therefore vulnerable to this. And uh, Poodle is an acronym. Uh uh, it stands for padding Oracle on downgraded legacy encryption. Uh, so, uh, you know, I guess they're really uh, good with coming up with, uh, you know, sort of interesting acronyms. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, unlike the uh, recent shell shock and uh, what was the other one? Heartbleed. Uh, Heartbleed, yes. Uh, those were just uh, names that were supposed to be scary sounding. So, but, uh, hey... You might uh, be interested in setting up encryption on your own web server. It turns out that setting up SSL is really hard. Uh, like, you know, it's not exactly a walk in the park. You can't exactly, you know, put it on a web server the same way you can put an image on a web page. It's not exactly that easy. Um, like, it involves, uh, you know, like, I haven't... I want to do this myself, but it involves uh, very arcane open SSL commands or whatever SSL toolkit you're using. Uh, like you have to generate your public private key and then you have to uh, generate a certificate request off of that off of your public key, send it off to some company which signs it and you better make sure that this company has their root certificate in all of the browsers or in the key store of whatever application you're using. Uh, you get that back and then you have to go through whatever uh, uh, you know, whatever sort of enchantments to your server 
that you need to do to, you know, add this certificate into it. And yeah, it's very hard and stuff. And there's some uh, contradictory evidence, or rather contradictory advice, uh, with regards to like with regards to the cipher suites to be used. Um, like it was maybe three or four years ago that uh, everyone was saying, oh, you probably should use RC4 uh, for your cipher suites. Uh, well, it turns out that RC4 is actually a pretty weak one. Uh, but there's still advice out there, you know, saying, oh, use RC4 over everything else because of this one obscure vulnerability. Um, so, yeah, uh, this is something that I, uh, like, deep down really should have to know uh, because, you know, it's sort of relevant to my job. You do do a lot with the web stuff. I, I found it interesting. The article, he had kind of interesting side links here and there in references, like he had one on uh, copying and pasting random commands you know how people like have a, a command up on git and you just you know paste it in and and run it with curl or something like that and just does magic for you in linux well, he was showing how uh, they can hide what's being pasted into your clipboard and then use that to trick you into pasting it into the terminal and do something really bad to you oh which, was, which is true i never thought about that before but it's totally true you should probably have that in between hop and your notepad just to make sure that what you're pasting is what you think you're pasting yeah it's like oh fortunately you did not delete your home directory exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and like there's uh plenty of like uh, uh like crossed out stuff in here uh like for instance that uh you like the generate the uh public private key uh it's like, whoops, you just made a 1024-bit key. I don't know if those are even accepted by CAs anymore. Happily, if you leave that off, it defaults to 2048, which I guess is good. He guesses is good? Yeah. And, uh, like, it was pretty interesting when, uh, like, pretty much as soon after uh, Chris, you know, started getting into computer science, he wants to know about encryption. It's like, yeah, that's a whole can of worms. Uh, here, here's a conundrum for you. Uh, public key cryptography, um, which I'm pretty sure is so vague and mysterious to him that he hasn't even tried to comprehend it yet. It's, uh, it's, it's a whole book that he would have to read to really kind of grasp the concepts. I actually have a security book someplace. It could be entertaining to let him read it and see what crazy ideas he comes up with. Well, he had that crazy idea of trying to learn C++, but... Uh, he was kind of stonewalled by that uh, compiler requirement. Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyways, uh, if you want SSL, well, if you use Cloudflare, you already have it. Uh, since they uh, recently st just enabled uh, universal SSL everywhere on all of their sites, uh, even the uh, the free uh, tier of their service. The correction on that would be if your site doesn't have SSL and you use Cloudflare... The data is encrypted from the client to Cloudflare, but not from the Cloudflare to your server, unless you enable something else. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's good. Uh, but uh, let's uh, switch gears like a lot and go over to UDP. Uh, have you ever worked with UDP? I haven't. Uh, not directly. I've read about it in books, and that's about it. Yeah. Uh, so. Like, the web runs over TCP, you know, the trans Transmission Control Protocol. Yep. It, it does a lot of nice things for you. Uh, like, it guarantees that what you send is what the other side gets, in that it will be in order, 
and also like everything is going to be there and all these other nice things. Uh, UDP pretty much does not do any of that. It pretty much exposes the faults of the network and uh, it's badged like everywhere as being, quote, unreliable. Uh, the problem is that when something is labeled that way, uh, people avoid it like the plague. Uh, but uh, some guy here, uh, Carl Seguin, he did a test on this, and it turns out that it's not really that bad. Uh, so he had a few servers set up around the world, uh, two around New York City, uh, one in Los Angeles, uh, one in the Netherlands, and another in Japan. And every so often, he would send out uh, a few packets from each of these servers and uh, like have them all listen for the other's packets. And turns out that, uh, at least in a data center, at least data center to data center, that the reliability is pretty good. Uh, for instance, like it seems like 90% of uh, packets get received, uh, which you know is quite a lot more uh, than you would think for something being unreliable. It's, it's I mean, I, I think that the name is partially... Uh misleading in that it's just saying that it's not guaranteed but really what not guaranteed amounts to is it's not going back and checking to make sure you got everything exactly and so I, I've heard one use for UDP is like streaming video like an example a very good example would be digital TV uh, that you can receive through the antenna that would be a UDP stream coming down it's not verified the client your TV does not send back up and say, hey, I missed the packet. Send it again, please. Yeah. Said, it just keeps going. And, you know, you drop that packet and you get that square box shows up in your TV or the screen goes <laughs> blank for, for a minute or while the airplane flies overhead. And when the airplane's <laughs> gone, the TV comes back on. Um, and then uh, also a lot of game clients, uh, multiplayer games uh, use UDP uh, simply because, you know, it's faster. It's, you know, has less overhead. And, uh, like the, you know, like the game state is changing constantly. So, like going back and making sure that you got a packet from five seconds ago is not really that valuable because, oh, you just got something from a millisecond ago that's going to be a little bit more up to date. So, yeah. Uh, moving on, uh, Linux 3.17 was released, uh, pretty recently uh, at the beginning of the month. It, uh, has a few, few interesting features. Uh, perhaps the most interesting is USB over IP, uh, meaning that you can share your USB devices with other systems. Uh, this can even make sharing USB devices among uh, virtual machines pretty nice. I think this is a pretty significant feature in just making <clears throat> the merging of computers together into one computer. So, like, one thing I thought about was uh, you have, like, you know, way back when, if you had two computers at your desk, you might use a, a K... Uh, K uh, VM switch, yeah. and, like, switch back and forth your keyboard and mouse and stuff. Whereas with this, you could electronically do that. And so, like for instance, with the Raspberry Pis, you could have the desktop and use be sitting there at your machine and send your keyboard and mouse inputs over your Pi, whoever it is. I don't know why you wouldn't be using SSH, but mm -hmm. if there was a reason not to be using SSH and you wanted direct access, you could do that. Or maybe you have a mobile device and you could plug in to your TV computer and be sending it inputs to the USB or you could plug oh here's one you could t you could have a laptop say for instance and you could plug in your flash drive and do it and that would automatically pop it into your your TV computer 
Yeah. Seems like a lot of different things, directions you could go with that. I've heard uh, suggestions on this is like uh, like in a data center that's uh-huh. like some software needs a USB dongle. So you can like stick it in one server and then a virtual machine running on uh, like a box on the other side of the room can access it. And like it can be shared around like that. Yes, I, I, I've seen that at work for one of the environments they... Uh, have this like security, <coughs> excuse me, this, uh, a USB thing they plug in and it generates a key or something. Mm-hmm. And with it, they can log into the client's environment and it's just something like that. Like you're saying within the data center or something, if you wanted to share that, that would work. Indeed. Printers too. It makes it easy, much easier way to share printers that or not network printers. I mean, you can kind of share printers today, but. It opens up the the possibilities of what you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. There's improved support for Radeon uh, GPUs. There's Thunderbolt support, uh, along with Xbox One controller support. And let's see a few other things, but uh, nothing that I would really find that interesting. So yeah. Uh, so let's go back like a really long time. Uh, like, let's say the 1970s, and uh, you may have heard of a place called Xerox Park. Uh, this is a place that, uh, it's like essentially a research institute where they pretty much went and played with computers all day uh, back in the 70s, and they made something called the Alto. And this Alto is very reminiscent of modern machines in that it had you know not just you know a video monitor, but it had uh, a mouse, it had Ethernet, it had WYSIWYG software, you know like what you see is what you get uh, type software, and a few other things that uh, you know like you you might not think that uh, like take these things for granted, but uh, like this is like their origin. And uh, apparently Xerox was uh, too uh, full of themselves with, you know, selling copiers all day that they really didn't care about what this, uh, like, building out in California did. Uh, But uh, apparently, uh, like, one day Steve Jobs came through and he stole, like, all of these ideas and that's what made the original Macintosh. Uh, I say all this because the source code for that Alto computer, uh, has recently been released for, like, uh, non-commercial use, uh, similar to that, uh, one DOS version and, uh, Microsoft Word, uh, from several months ago. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that as, as kind of becoming a pattern, which is nice because when you make something like that open and available to people, then it's going to be preserved versus being hidden away on a server or something that gets deleted. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you had pulled out a quote there. Oh, right. I forgot I did that. Oh, this is the guy. He was... Uh, Writing the telling, article. Yeah, he, he was telling about the way back when, how he started, and he was talking about in college that... No, it was in high school, I think he said, uh, that they were using servers that they weren't even at. And he's, he said, we punched out our programs into 80-column IBM cards. And several weeks later, we received our printouts. That was strong motivation to think carefully and double-check everything. Quite unlike today when you just kind of code something. It's like, ah, I hope that works. Let's try it. Well, you're. I think back then they were like, I hope this works. <laughs> uh, but instead of several weeks, now we just wait several milliseconds. Yes. 
so uh, let's uh, go forward, like in modern days again, uh, with like the descendants of all of these Alto computers, uh, like Apple and Google. Uh, they uh, announced that their new slash current operating systems uh, for their phones and uh, tablets uh, will have encryption enabled by default. Uh, the FBI, like most organizations these days, are unable to see beyond their own nose and have absolutely cried wolf and foul over uh, suddenly everyone's phones will be encrypted and they won't be able to investigate, you know, the crimes and stuff. Uh, so they're, I wouldn't want to say promising, but they're sort of threatening that like all these, you know, like all these unsolvable crimes will happen. Yeah, that that is the sense you get. They're saying like, oh, all the pedophiles are going to be using their phones for everything, and everyone's just going to use their phone because that's that's uh, a safe haven for everyone who's doing something illegal to go to now. Uh, so, but uh, this is uh, sort of contradictory. In uh, uh, let's see, I'm not sure if it'll be like the next article, uh, but yeah, FBI, you know, doesn't want everyone to use encryption. Uh, but ironically, they've also recommended you to use encryption. So, uh, so yeah, this, you know, it's a good thing that, you know, encryption is enabled by default on all of these things. And, uh, like recently I have been sort of going back and forth on, uh, putting a password onto my solid state drive in my desktop, uh, you know, to enable the full disk encryption on that. Uh, but, you know, it would have, I'm, presumably I would have to reinstall Windows in order to do that. Uh, but yeah, that's one of the upsides of, uh, having a solid state drive is that pretty much all of them support full disk encryption by default. And it doesn't really need any kind of extra software. It just works with, like, your UEFI chip on your motherboard. Like, you go into the setup and you say, I want to assign a password to this disk here, and it just works like that. So then at boot time before Windows even comes up is when you'd be typing in the password. Exactly, because you have to decrypt Windows in order mm. to run it. So, so it, was, it was interesting in the article. It seemed like the fuss was about uh, the phones because they had a quote that said uh, the Apple's message said in most cases law enforcement enforcement doesn't ask for content such as email photos or data stored on its iCloud or iTunes account. So it's they're they're making a really big deal about the data and everything. But I, I, part part of it was I was wondering if it, it isn't actually even used by law enforcement very much right now, as much as they would le- want to leave lead you to believe that they do. Yeah. In other parts of the article they they were talking about how they they use it for everything for the phones and stuff and how this is the primary communication source. Yeah, and the thing about a phone is that it kind of has to talk to other computers in order yeah. to actually be useful. Uh, so, yeah. so like, having the thing that you hold in your hand to be encrypted is a good thing, but there's still plenty of flaws in the system. Yeah, see, that's, that's what I would think, because, like you said, it's connecting someplace to a, a phone, uh, you know, I'm not sure what it's called, a distribution point or whatever. The and, telephone network. Yeah, telephone network. There you go. And my understanding is that's something that the government has wiretaps into and is listening in on and can listen in on. Yeah. So really, as far as phone data, which, they got which, that. Which theoretically they need to have a warrant for. Theoretically. But, you know, the NSA. Mm-hmm. 
Hi, NSA. So We know you're listening. <laughs> so, in response to all this encryption by default, uh, China doesn't like it either. In fact, it has, like, pretty much, you know, like, done something incredible in that the Great Firewall of China is quite obviously, uh, has launched a man-in-the-middle attack, uh, against iCloud. Uh, so this happened, I think it was yesterday morning sometime, uh, that suddenly, uh, like, users in, uh, China, like, trying to access, like, the iCloud website, uh, were greeted by a certificate error, uh, you know, like apparently the uh, the connection uh, had a uh, certificate injected into it that you know identified it as something else, uh, which only people within China actually experienced. Uh, so you know, like I'm not exactly sure what the relation between Apple and China is. Uh, like for all I know, uh, Apple just sees China as its factory. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, whereas China, like the Chinese government is on a rampage of late that wants everyone to use domestic things to, in order to build up their economy there. Uh, but yeah, don't expect any kind of privacy. So, so here's the interesting thing about the article. They were saying that, uh, if you, the people would try to log in to the iCloud with Firefox or Chrome, that the fake certificate that the Chinese government used, they would have been told about it, but then... If they used the Mac OS, uh, iCloud login or another browser, it didn't tell them about this fake certificate and that allowed the government to steer, steal their credentials. Yeah. Um, let's see. And if it was like built into, uh, OS 10, I'm pretty sure that if you use like the built in iOS login, I guess, uh, that you would probably be compromised that way too. So, so in response to the FBI throwing a fit, the Washington Post uh, proposed a compromise, uh, something that they called a secure golden key, which they described in theory would only be used by law enforcement. Because it's not like that would not be leaked or anything. Oh no. And such a thing is not is totally not a backdoor, right? Oh no, definitely not. Right? And, and you know how secure databases are nowadays? Like, you never hear about, like companies getting their cacked or losing data or anything like that yeah and like every single device in like a uh, commercial point of sale device is totally secure right it's not like anybody ever hacked into those no um so this uh so this article here points out some very good defenses uh that you know encryption by default provides is that it protects you from uh, hackers, the black hat guys that are actually out to steal your stuff. Um, number two, it protects you from foreign governments. Uh, so, you know, not only does it protect you from the NSA, it protects you from, like, the Chinese NSA. Uh, if they were ever to, like, intercept your communications back and forth or to intercept your device. And it also protects you from human error in general. Because, you know, like, even... Like the manufacturer of this device and the, uh, uh, how should I say, the uh, support team for the services that you use, uh, you know, stuff can like leak through. And uh, like you mentioned this during the fringe, that for like a day or so on Dropbox, anyone could access everyone's stuff. Yes, you didn't have to have the right password. It sounds like he just went to the login site, typed in the right username, 
and then typed in something random for the password and clicked signed in, sign in, and it lets you in. So, and it also brings up another point in that uh, it protects you from the future. In that, you know, like the uh, government laws, even though they're pretty stable, they do change. And, like, what is your legal data today might be illegal next year. Yeah, and along with that point, you can't normally sometimes choose to have things deleted from the cloud because it's still going to be a tape drives and other places up there someplace. And so that was a point you were making was that that data that's legal today, illegal tomorrow, you can't just choose to delete it when it becomes illegal. Yeah. And uh, another point in that you know, cloud data is becoming extension of our minds and like our personal stuff. Um, like this uh, conflicts with the underlying principles of the third party doctrine in that like uh, if you call someone like the telephone company has to know like who you're calling, but the telephone company is a third party. So the government can go to the phone company and say, hey, who'd this guy call? Um and that's being sort of extended into, like, these cloud services and this cloud storage stuff. Uh, and that's, you know, you know, sometimes you're sort of, you know, forced into using, uh, you know, like, cloud storage. Uh, which would be, you know, third party by definition. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you decided to make your own little mini Facebook or something. So so one, one thing that when I was reading through, I mentioned the Dropbox, uh, how they had the vulnerability where anyone could log in as anyone. One time, this was a few years back, I logged into Google Docs in with my credentials. And when I logged in, it logged into some other random person's Google Docs account. Huh. It was weird. It was it was I think it was someone from some other country. And then I, I, I logged back out and I tried logging back in again and it logged in as me. But that shows you even like Google is not immune to to stuff like that. Exactly. Now for the good stuff that I promised you last week. So I mentioned I did a financially irresponsible decision. And what that was is I ordered a $800 7.1 surround sound system. Uh, This is the Onkyo S9400THX home theater system. Uh, And even though this is not the gadget show where ordinarily consumer electronics would be used or reviewed and talked about. Uh, this is my own show, and I can do whatever I want with it. And also sort of yours, too. Which is why we talk about deer hunting sometimes. <laughs> exactly. And and sometimes we have stories about Chris. Yes, we do have stories about Chris. But anyways, $800 sound system here. Uh, so, like, ever, ever since I moved out into my own place, like, I sort of, you know, tossed around the idea of having a surround sound system but I sort of convinced myself that I didn't really have the proper space in which to put it. Um, and then I uh, saw on, like, the Newegg Overstock sale that, like, an $1,100 system was marked down to $800, uh, which uh, seemed like everyone else was selling at uh, as well. 
and I found this uh, one uh, store in New York which provides like free two-day shipping on anything over like a hundred bucks or so uh, which uh, I went ahead and ordered from there instead of Newegg uh, so like I uh, it arrives and it's a like a hundred and thirty pound box <laughs> Wow. Uh, so it has like all the speakers, the subwoofer, and the receiver in it. Uh, so I uh, managed to like get this sort of hooked up, uh, but with the uh, the toss link of the optical cable thing I mentioned last week, it really wasn't performing to its full potential. Uh, so I had to buy uh, like an HDMI cable to connect up to my graphics card uh, because like that's the only way you can get an HDMI port these days. Uh, and that will support the whole 7.1 uh, sound with like 192 kilohertz, 24-bit, like the top quality uh, sound that you can possibly get, uh, or at least like in a consumer-grade product. Um, so I wouldn't manage to hook that all up, and I've been playing through Borderlands 2, uh, which, uh, you know, even though it has only 5.1 uh, surround sound with it instead of 7, uh, like I'm still hearing things that are coming from the rear speakers and, uh, like I've conveniently hidden two of the speakers under an ottoman that is sort of, uh, next to my chair here. Uh, and, you know, just having like sort of speakers surround my desk here and, uh, like the subwoofer, uh, has a 12 inch driver to it and like the box itself. I'm pretty sure that I've used microwaves smaller than the subwoofer. It's pretty <laughs> large. Uh, so, yeah, like, uh, the, like, even though it's a thousand watt system, like, I do not crank it up all the way. Uh, and, like, even there, like, I have not heard, like, the speakers themselves rattle at all. Uh, which, with my, uh, my old sound setup, uh, like, some of the metal was coming loose and vibrating. Wow. <laughs> like, I I managed to uh, finally, like, put some, uh, like, paper, like, wedge it in there so it would stop moving. So, so good news. Minecraft supports 7.0, whatever that is. <laughs> um, that means that, uh, like, there's seven normal channels, uh, but it doesn't have a dedicated subwoofer channel onto that. Uh, that's what the point one stands for. That's the subwoofer. Okay. So now's uh, a good good time for you to try out minecraft uh well i uh in my research here on uh like what actual games like support uh 7.1 surround sound i came across this list uh of games from like uh probably over the past 10 years or so uh like what kind of audio api they use and what's the maximum number of channels they support and uh it seems like all of the uh uh, how should I say, games that I've enjoyed of late use the WYS uh, system, which up until a year ago only supported 5.1, uh, but then they upgraded it to 7.1, uh, so hopefully uh, games going forward uh, will hopefully uh, support 7.1 from here on out. Uh, so... Uh, let's see, I remember, even though it was, like, the most disappointing game of all time, in my opinion, uh, Bioshock, uh, I did, he I have, uh, heard people say that the sound design in that game is pretty amazing, uh, so I'll definitely be playing through that, uh, pretty soon, uh, but, yeah, I'm still playing through Borderlands 2, because it's such a great thing, um, yeah, and a few other games on here, like, 
I'll probably use this as my guide uh, for what games I should play from uh, <laughs> uh, uh, from here on out. Uh, so yeah, a few of these games I haven't played, like the uh, Bioshock sequels, and uh, I believe there might be XCOM on here also. Uh, but uh, yeah, these are games that I want to play, uh, definitely. Uh, both just for the entertainment value to test the sound system and also uh, blog content. Sounds like you have quite a bit of gaming time ahead of you then. <laughs> uh, yeah, and hopefully uh, whittle down uh, the fact that 70% of my Steam library I haven't even played. I think I have a lot higher percentage than that not played. <laughs> well, 90 is pretty high. So, uh, but yeah, it looks like I got some uh, uh, fun times ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you uh, definitely have the money, uh, which I'm semi-disappointed, but not really, that it's now down to $750 from $800. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, I've enjoyed this. It sounds great. Uh, and I'll definitely be, I'll definitely have this for uh, several years to come. Uh, the other sound system I've had, I've had for like 10 years. So like, you don't go through graphics cards uh you go through graphics cards much faster than sound systems. Just don't look uh, when Newegg has their uh, Black Friday deals. Don't look at them. <laughs> mm, I probably will, and I'm like, yeah, that's how much you, like enjoyment I've gotten out of it already. That that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. I, I found that anytime you buy something like that, it's like it always is cheaper later. Like it's because you're in the mode of looking for a good deal and everything, so you just see the good deals and it's like ah, I got the cheaper. It always uh, happens. Yeah, it's sort of like the early adopter tax. This is true. So that is the difference between when something was first released and then like the first price drop, like a few months later. Uh, but uh, yeah, I definitely will be enjoying this. And no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, really cheesy thing of like playing something through the speakers but have it be picked up by my crappy microphone. Really? <laughs> no, I'm not going to be doing that right now. Or pretty much ever. Uh, so there wasn't really any kind of substantial podcast feedback. I think Ian might have wrote in something like, if someone doesn't know what Bash is, then why are they listening to this podcast? And I replied something along the lines of, yeah, I don't know why my mom listens to this either. So, hi, Mom, how you doing? <laughs> so, so we did kind of get some podcast feedback-ish through Facebook. Uh, Facebook? I, yes, because remember how the, uh, what was the, the the Kickstarter we did last week? The one on the, the shield for Raspberry Pi? Uh-huh. I, I posted the link back to the podcast on my friend's page, and he actually did an- answer the question we had. I just have to find... There, I found him. Let me see. I should be able to get the, what he said. He explained the difference between the shield and the and the hat. Yeah, and you said something like it was uh, basically Arduino terminology versus Pi. Okay, did I already tell you that? Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. It was just a terminology difference, but essentially the same. Yeah. So uh, if you would like to submit feedback, that would guaranteed to be uh, get to all of us. Uh, uh, use the uh, contact link on the nexus.tv. In particular, if you're look using or looking at the show notes, uh, use the link just below our little pictures off to the side. And today is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up all of your stuff. Uh, back up your sound systems. <laughs> okay, 
Uh, I'm not sure how you do that, but good luck. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, let's see, what's going on? Uh, nothing too much. Uh, nothing really exciting. Uh, hopefully I'll get past that uh, frustration that I experienced today. So, uh, you mentioned you're going to be uh, heading back up to your uh, parents' house? Yeah, that's the plan, assuming everything goes good at work and head back up and hopefully get in on a little bit more deer hunting before this muzzleloader season ends on Saturday. Okay. Uh, let's see. Yep. Aside from that, uh, have a good one. You too.